When you work, you work next level. And when you play, you play next level. And when it's time to sleep, Sleep Number smart beds are designed to embrace your uniqueness, providing you with high-quality sleep every night. Sleep next level. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. Up in flames. Wildfires ravage California, Washington, and Oregon, displacing families and destroying homes. Are these apocalyptic fires the new normal? Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti joins me to discuss next. And facing facts as the election nears, new revelations about what President Trump knew about coronavirus. I didn't lie. What I said is we have to be calm, we can't be panicked. With health experts saying life might not be normal until the end of 2021, who will voters choose to lead them through this pandemic? I'll speak to White House Trade Advisor Peter Navarro next. Plus, on the road, the presidential candidates are out campaigning. My exclusive interview with Democratic nominee Joe Biden. I know what the job takes. But is President Trump's law and order message resonating? Democratic Congresswoman of Florida Val Demings ahead. Hello, I'm Jake Tapper in Washington, where the State of Our Union is worried about the West Coast. Images that look almost apocalyptic. Fires raging up and down the West Coast, burning huge areas in California, Washington State, and Oregon. At least 33 people are dead across the three states, and Oregon officials are warning of a, quote, mass fatality incident. As smoke produces dangerous air quality conditions, the governor of California says the debate is over on climate change. Just come to the state of California, and President Trump now will visit California after criticism about his silence on the issue. The president addressed the fires at a rally Saturday night, saying the fires are, quote, about forest management. All this as the president is coming off, frankly, a brutal week for his reelection campaign after details and audio tapes from Bob Woodward's new book show the president well aware of the dangers of the coronavirus, expressing those concerns in private in early February as he was publicly dismissing and downplaying the threat of the the disease to the American people. We're going to begin right now going straight to California, which is facing, of course, record-breaking wildfires, more than three million acres burned. Joining me now live, Los Angeles Mayor Eric Garcetti. Mayor Garcetti, thanks for joining us. We're seeing these horrific scenes out of the West Coast, the Bobcat fire burning fewer than 25 miles outside of Los Angeles. As of yesterday, that fire had destroyed almost 30,000 acres. It's only 6% contained right now. President Trump is going to travel to your state tomorrow to to meet local officials. He approved disaster relief for your state three weeks ago. Are you satisfied with the Trump administration's response? Well, we always have great uh, cooperation with our federal uh, agencies, and I want to thank them for that because they do step up, whether it's coronavirus or whether it's fires. But I think leadership at the very top needs to be earlier, stronger, And from the president, I wish that we would get as much attention, not based on an electoral map, but just purely on being Americans and the need for leadership to be uh, from the White House for all of America. um, You know, whether it's twin hurricanes on the Gulf Coast or fires here on the West Coast, we're one nation. And sometimes uh, looking at the leadership that comes out, it's easy to forget that Uh, it's taken three weeks. I'm glad he's coming. Uh, But we need much more help when we have firefighters dying on the line and Washington refuses to help states and refuses to help local governments that are the first responders to emergencies like this, it's unconscionable. 
Um, so instead of hitting the golf course or going on vacation, the president and the Congress respectively should sit down this week and finally make sure that there is assistance for these brave men and women who are protecting our lives and protecting our property. Well, I just want to be clear here. What exactly are you saying President Trump, in your view, would have done differently if California were, say, a Republican state like, the, like Louisiana uh, or other states in the Gulf Coast, Texas? What, what, what would have done differently? Because he, sure. he did declare disaster uh, three weeks ago. Absolutely. And I always say that. That's very important that those agencies respond. We get good co coordination. But there's a refusal to and a blaming of blue states over red states in his mind. I mean, I remind people there's a million Republicans that live here in the city of Los Angeles. Um, even if you're a partisan, you should be stepping up with empathy. You should be stepping up with helping with a new CARES Act when people are slashing local government and state government, laying people off. Uh, this is bad for our economy. This is bad for our emergency response. It's terrible for our coronavirus response. And so we need leadership that is equal um, across this country instead of being partisan and divisive. And it's very clear, this president seems to divide more. He's going to come out here and probably tell us, I'm going to send you rakes instead of more help. We need actual help, material help, not based on our party affiliation or how we voted. Leadership isn't about grudges. It's about governing for all. Well, let's talk about that because at his Nevada rally last night, President Trump uh, repeatedly told his supporters that containing the wildfires is all about forest management. And as you note, he has frequently criticized California for failing to rake the forest floors uh, to prevent wildfires. Um, what's your response? What are the facts behind this? Well, I listen to fire professionals, um, not the president of the United States or a politician when it comes to actually what causes these fires. Uh, it's been very clear. Uh, that years of drought, as we're seeing, whether it's too much water and too much rain in parts of our country right now, or too little. This is climate change. And this is an administration that's put its head in the sand. Uh, while we have Democratic and Republican mayors across the country stepping up to do their part, this is an administration, a president who wants to withdraw from the Paris Climate Accords uh, later this year, uh, the only country in the world to do so. Uh, talk to a firefighter if you think that climate change isn't real. And it seems like this administration are the last vestiges of the Flat Earth Society of this generation. We need real action. We need to actually reduce uh, the carbon emissions that we have. And we need to make sure we can manage that water. And this is not about just forest management or raking. Uh, anybody who lives here in California is insulted by that, quite frankly. And he keeps perpetrating this lie. Well, let's talk about this, because as you note, um, a lot of people, there's consensus in California, Democrats and Republicans, that the forest fires, uh, and, some, and we should just note, the scientific community also says uh, that a lot of this has to do uh, with climate change. And Governor Newsom said uh, California is facing a climate emergency. Um, in recent weeks, Democratic presidential nominee Joe Biden uh, has broken with climate change activists over the issue of fracking, which releases not carbon, but the greenhouse gas methane into the atmosphere. Environmentalists want to ban fracking. Biden has repeatedly said he does not support banning uh, fracking. I know that you think that Biden is much better for the environment on climate change th than President Trump. But on this issue, fracking, is Joe Biden on the wrong side? Well, it's very clear to all of us that we have to wind down our dependence on fossil fuel, from Joe Biden to myself and mayors across the country and across the world. Uh, you look at the markets, they're not investing in any new uh, oil and gas projects, and when they do, it costs three times as much in terms of the interest rates as renewables. So I think we know where we're headed, and Joe Biden has put probably the boldest plan I've ever seen in my lifetime to be by 2035 uh, carbon neutral for all of our electricity generation. That's a bigger and braver and bolder goal than I've ever seen. 
I think he was referring to what's existing today, whether it gets shut off or whether we rapidly wind it down. Um, that's clear to me that all of us in a decade and a half will be looking at, as we have here in California, where LA is the number one solar city in America, where we're investing in renewables, where we've sold power actually mm -hmm. during some of the outages to the rest of the state, that we can do this and create jobs. And I think Joe is committed to that transition. And that's what he's talking about. Those folks who work there today, making sure they have a job tomorrow. I want to ask you overnight, uh, a horrible scene, two Los Angeles County Sheriff's deputies uh, ambushed, yeah. shot, seriously wounded, apparently completely unprovoked and targeted. According to the Sheriff's Office Twitter account, at one point protesters went outside the hospital and were shouting, we hope they die, blocking entrances. Um, what can you tell us about the deputy status and what goes through your mind when you hear about protesters blocking hospitals saying that we hope that deputy sheriffs die? There's no place in civilized society for anybody to draw an arm and to shoot our law enforcement officers that put their lives on the line. And I won't ever let a couple voices uh, that not only are uncalled for, but it's abhorrent to say something like that when we have two deputies who are sheriff deputies in grave condition. Um, my offers and my thoughts are not just with those two deputies, but with their families and everybody in the Los Angeles Sheriff's Office that's hanging on. Of course, there's an important conversation going on about policing in this country, but these are folks who put their lives on the line for us, and we will find justice for them, and I pray for their recovery. Uh, Americans are united about that, that this is a country in which that sort of behavior is unacceptable, abhorrent, and we do pray that these folks will recover and I hope that everybody listening today will unify around that. This week, we learned from reporter Bob Woodward that President Trump was aware of the serious threat posed by the coronavirus uh, in early February, even as he repeatedly downplayed it and dismissed it in public. You issued your first stay-at-home order in L.A. more than a month later, March 19th. Do you think if you had known in early February what we now know President Trump knew, you would have acted sooner? Unquestionably. And look, you put it great in the opening. This was a rough week for the president because he's failing on the basics, the basics of supporting our troops, the basics of responding to a fire, the basics of uh, managing the worst health pandemic that we have had. We were the first city to close things down, the first city to offer widespread testing, but we had to go it alone. And we heard that consistently. That's up to the states. That's up to the local governments. I had firefighters uh, providing tests to people, volunteers who would uh, give their time because we had no leadership at the national level. And yes, if we had known and had leadership that didn't say calm, but actually allowed us to do the work and pro uh, provided us the resources to do so, we would have taken action much earlier and thousands of lives in my city and obviously maybe tens of thousands, if not 100,000 lives in America could have been saved. Mayor Garcetti, thank you so much uh, for your time today. Obviously, our thoughts and prayers are with all the people in California, as well as Oregon and Washington, and with those uh, two deputy sheriffs. Thanks for joining us today. Thank you. God bless, strength, and love to you and to all of America. Thank you, Thanks. sir. Why was President Trump misleading the American people on COVID-19 in February? A top Trump advisor will respond to the brand new allegations in Bob Woodward's book next. And are Americans struggling to feed their families being abandoned by Congress, Democrats, and Republicans? Stay with us. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. Last night, President Trump kicked off a campaign swing through the western U.S. after a challenging week in his re-election campaign with new revelations about his decision to downplay the threat of the coronavirus. Joining me now, White House Trade, Trade Advisor and Assistant to President Trump, Peter Navarro. Mr. Navarro, thanks so much for joining us. So you just heard Mayor Garcetti of Los Angeles saying that they work well with federal partners, 
But it does seem like the response from the federal government, especially uh, the attention and enthusiasm from President Trump, depends on whether or not it is a red or blue state suffering from a disaster. What's your response? Well, that, that's offensive. If you look at what President Trump did, for example, for the city and state of New York, it was an incredible transfer of resources up there, ships, PPE, everything that New York wanted, uh, they got. So please, Mr. Garcetti, take care of Los Angeles better than you are doing. Uh, I if one of the things I'd like to do before we get started, though, is I really would like to congratulate President Trump on being nominated for the, for the Peace Prize, the Nobel Peace Prize, because this last week, if you look at the signal rather than the noise, he brokered a yeah. second deal with Bahrain. We've got Mike Pompeo, a real warrior for peace, and Qatar trying to broker a so, deal to get us out of Afghanistan. I, I, We're I, withdrawing I, troops from okay. Iraq. Yeah. And we have relative stability on the Korean Peninsula. Okay. So these are big I issues understand. that I think is important. But go ahead. All right. I, I, I want to keep talking about the fires in your former home state of California. Sure. I want you to listen to what Go uh, California Governor Gavin Newsom had to say about what's happening in his state. The debate is over around climate change. Just come to the state of California. Observe it with your own eyes. It's not an intellectual debate. It's not even debatable any longer. This is a climate damn emergency. This is real. And it's happening. Now, I don't think I have to convince you of this because in a paper that you co-wrote 20 years ago when you were a professor at UC Irvine, you called climate change, quote, one of the most important environmental problems of our time. Unfortunately, I think you might be alone in the White House in holding that view that is scientific con uh, consensus. Is anyone at the White House listening to you on this issue? I think what's important now uh, as the entire West Coast is suffering from these fires is to, to think about how to manage these fires. And I, uh, I equally believe that what we've seen in California, and I've seen this firsthand, is that for many, many years, particularly because of budget cutbacks, uh, there was no inclination to manage our forests. That's actually a real issue, Jake. And, and whether or not isn't it's climate change or also isn't climate change also I, a real look, issue? Not, I, that's not my expertise, Jake. And it really, I, I came here to talk about a lot of things. That okay. was the last on my list. Let's wow. let's pray for the people of California right now. And once we put the fires out, let's have that debate. But I, you know, one of the things I, I do want to talk about, and and and, and Garcetti. Uh, meant, said something about this, which I think was wrong, is this, this thing about the, the Woodward's uh, seriousness issue, okay? And let me, let me explain something Well, let's here. talk about that. Yeah. Finally, you want to talk about that? Let's, let's turn to that. Yeah, yeah, let's let's turn, turn to the revelations from Bob Woodward's uh, sure. book, which comes out on Tuesday. I want you to sure. take a listen to what President Trump told Woodward in private on February 7th. Great. That's a great day to start. You just breathe the air. That's how it's uh, passed. Uh, it's also more deadly than your... You know, your, even your strenuous flus. This is uh, more right. deadly. This is five per, you know, this is 5% versus 1% and less than 1%. You know, so this is deadly stuff. So that's February 7th. Yeah. He's stating that yeah. the coronavirus is five times deadlier than the regular influenza. Now, here's what he was saying publicly two weeks later. Take a listen. President talked about the flu uh, and the comparison to the coronavirus. Flu has a fatality ratio of about 0.1%. Correct. Uh, this has a fatality ratio of somewhere between 2 and 3%. Uh, 
given we that, we, think we, we don't know exactly the that. So and the flu is higher than that. The flu is much higher than that. So just to All be clear, right, now, I, I'm going to give yeah. you the mic in a sec, but just to be clear okay. for people watching, on yeah. February 7th, he was acknowledging to Bob Woodward behind closed doors, coronavirus was five times deadlier than the few. Less than two weeks later, he was saying the exact opposite in public to Sanjay Gupta. He was misleading the American people. Why? Okay, now that I have the mic, give me, give me a minute to walk through the timeline, because I think this is really important. On January 31st, that was basically the starting gun to fight this virus that came in from the, from the Chinese Communist Party. Let's not forget where this started. And that was a signal from this president that, that was, this is a serious, serious matter. He's taking down flights from China. He was called a xenophobe and a racist by Joe Biden. No, he wasn't. later had to apologize. No, he wasn't. And well, he didn't apologize. Yeah, if I'll, I'll, we'll do the fact check on that. I watched I that. I just did. All right. Well, you're wrong. Nope. So January 31st, pulls down the flight, saves probably hundreds of thousands of American lives. Now, what happened then, Jake? Here's what's important. This is breaking news for you. In that first week of February, leading up to February 7th, we here at the White House started a, a strategy. It basically was hope for the best, uh, prepare for the worst, stay calm, and begin to attack this, this virus from China on four yeah. different vectors. Hang on. You, let me have the mic here. Well, PPE, therapeutics, vaccines, and therapeutics. Okay? So what happened? So on February 7th... I'm specifically talking about what President Trump understood. was saying to the public yes. in February not, March. Jake, not fair here. Let me finish here. You're not so answering my on question. on February 7th, President Trump talks to Woodward. What happens on February 9th? This is the most important thing. A memo, I write a memo that goes out to the task force here that basically outlines President Trump's strategy for dealing with the virus. And in this memo, mm -hmm. it brings uh, to the fact that we need N95 masks, that we need to go after your, their... Hang on, you, hang you, on. You, let you, me finish no, this, No, because Jake. you're not answering my question, Peter. Jake, the question is about you what just, is the... Pro you, you're talking you about just, what you were doing Jake, privately. Jake, let me Let's, let's pause Jake, it right I'm, now. now. Hang on, On January Jake, 29th, you were Jake, issuing a warning. You were saying not behind closed... You're, you're not answering... constantly interrupting me, and you're not answering my question. I am answering it. You just don't like the answer, Why was he... I understand Jake, your Jake. memo. We've talked about <laughs> this before no, no, on the show. No, no, not this memo. Not this memo. February 9th. This is breaking news. This is not the memo I wrote on January 29th in support of the president's decision to pull down the travel ban, which saved hundreds of thousands of lives. This is a memo, Jake, that said, among other things, that if we start right now, mm -hmm. we could have a vaccine by the end of the year. And my point here, Jake, is that we're in the fog of war. We've got some people, including the medical professionals saying it's no worse than the flu. We've got others saying that this could be a very serious pandemic. And the president is absolutely right. What he needed to do is be calm, hope for the best, but prepare for the worst and attack the virus on these four vectors, PPE, therapeutics, vaccines, we have and heard, testing. And we that's have, what we did. Okay. And, and so, uh, so look, we have heard government officials say that the president should have been straightforward with the American people, and he was not. Not just Democrats, the by the way. I want you to look, take a listen. Here's Senator Susan Collins, Republican of Maine, followed by Democratic Governor Phil Murphy of New Jersey. Take a listen to them. The American people can take hard facts, and he had an obligation as president to be straightforward with them. If we had known that earlier, uh, we would have shut the state uh, meaningfully earlier. It's inconceivable to me that we wouldn't have been able to save 
lives as a result of that. All right, may I respond? Bipartisan now, consensus, may bipartisan consensus, yet that the I president respond? should have been straightforward. May I respond here, Jake? Okay. You have to go back to February and March. We're in the fog of war from the China virus. There are competing views as to whether this is simply the flu or whether this is very serious. What are the competing and we go through, views? Hang on. Look, the scientists, look, you You're had, about you had Nancy else. Pelosi dancing with scarves in Chinatown at the end of February saying, come on down. You had de Blasio and Cuomo in March saying, come on down. You Why had wasn't Dr. the president Fauci straightforward with the American that there people? Was lower, he Why? was straightforward. No, he wasn't. There was, look, look, Jake. Jake, I'm telling you Just answer the, what our strategy is. a very basic is. question. Right. I, you want to talk about what you want to talk about. You, okay? You're cherry picking. You're no, cherry I'm not cherry picking. picking. On February 7th, he knew that it was in the air, that it was five Jake, times deadlier being, than the flu. This, no, five it, times it, deadlier. That's on the tape. He expressed that to Woodward, but at the same time. Two weeks getting, later, he's, he's saying getting, that the he, flu is deadlier than the coronavirus. Jake, Why just, wasn't he you honest? You just don't want to listen, Jake. You just don't I want you want to answer to the question. I am answering your question. You just don't like the answer. The answer is. In February, all the way through the middle of March, when the World Health Organization finally said there was a pandemic and China was hiding the information, finally, that's when we knew that there was a pandemic. And you know what, Jake? We were at that point prepared for the worst. In February, we were moving mountains on PPE, therapeutics, testings and vaccines so that in the time that we needed those things, we got those things, and, and it's a miracle what we've been doing on vaccine development. We have a possibility of getting a vaccine by the end of the year, and I put that right in a memo on February 9th under the advice of the president in terms of, of getting on this yeah. situation because it might be serious. You can't have it both ways, Jake. You, you simply I'm can't. not trying to have it both in ways. In February, I'm... nobody knew. No, nobody knew. Not the president, president. He's not February you, 7th. not Nancy Pelosi, not Bill de Blasio. He knew Whether it was we, deadlier than the flu, and he was lying to the no, American people two weeks later. Jake, Jake you're cherry-picking. I'm not okay? cherry-picking. But you can say, look, uh, I think look, here uh, it all is. of this is ask and answer, Jake. Look, here's the thing. He was it's not like, honest with the American guys, people. That, that, you're, you're not wrong. answering the question. You're not honest with the American people. CNN is not honest with the American okay. people. CNN, okay. you want to go there? I mean, I, CNN, I said you're not answering uh, the question. That. Here's, here's the thing. Thank you, Peter question. Navarro. Thank, we just played tape. You didn't, answer, you didn't answer the question. Answered, no, you can't say that. You didn't I answer the question. No, you didn't. Repeatedly, Jake. You just didn't okay. like the Peter answer. Peter Navarro, thank you, you so much. Like I appreciate answer. your time today. Thank you so much. And I would just like to remind the American people watching that... The United States has less than 5% of the world's population, and the United States has more than 20% of the world's coronavirus deaths. That is a fact. It does not matter how many times he insults CNN. With seven weeks until the election, voters in a handful of key Midwestern states are about to see a lot of President Trump and a lot of Joe Biden. I asked Biden about winning back those Trump voters in my exclusive interview next. Well, what do you think? The USMCA, what's better, that or NAFTA? Well, no, the USMCA is better. Was that Jake Tapper? Jake, I like Jake Tapper. What's that? I don't think he's doing I don't think he likes me too much, but that's okay. They said, what's better? They said, what's better? He goes, USMCA. Well, that's the deal that Trump made. Oh, it is? Oh. Not exactly what happened, but that was President Trump last night going after former Vice President Biden at a rally in Nevada, attacking Biden for answers that Biden gave me about his record on trade in an exclusive interview in the critical swing state of Michigan. 
Macomb County, uh, Michigan right now. Uh, this is a county that President Obama and you carried twice. Uh, and then President Trump carried by 12 percentage points in 2016. Um, you're the son of Scranton. You're somebody who likes to talk about the working class, the middle class. Why do you think so many of these voters turned against the Democratic Party in 2016? Well, look, I think, number one, a lot of it was taken for granted. Um, when we ran, I spent a lot of time in Macomb County, a lot of time in Detroit. I was given the responsibility of getting it out of its uh, bankruptcy and getting it on its feet. Um, you know, I was the guy that was asked in the Recovery Act to make sure we made sure we were in a situation where we saved General Motors and Chrysler. I come from Claymont. You know Claymont. You're a Philly guy. Claymont's a working class neighborhood. It used to be have 6,000 steel workers in Claymont. It's shut down, worth steel. But the point is that, um, you know, I think it was the feeling that they were taken for granted. I don't know that for a fact. And I think that he, he used that dog whistle on race. Uh, now it's a bullhorn. Um, and, uh, and I think that, look, neighbors I come from, and I think presumptuous me to say you come from, people don't want a hand up. They just want to fight and chance. Just give me a shot. And they're looking for a shot. And the effect of everything he's done has decimated them. I mean, right here in this county, in this state, they're down 5,000 manufacturing jobs since he became president. Now, when you ran for president and when Barack Obama ran for president, you both said you would renegotiate NAFTA. You didn't. He did. Nancy Pelosi said that the USMCA, which President Trump signed into law, is a, quote, victory for America's workers. Does he deserve credit for that? No, I think, remember, he, didn't, he wasn't the one that pushed that particular one that passed. The House amended the bill, amended the bill, so he couldn't. He signed well, that, it. By the way, it's a big deal, though. Here's what he, they amended. He was given pharma a way out, giving them a gigantic break, just like he's doing now with pharma. If you, they're building plants overseas and getting tax, tax breaks for it. That's what it was about with him. And okay. they said, no, no, we're not going to do that. We're but not going to do that. he renegotiated NAFTA and you didn't, is the point. I mean. Because we had a Republican Congress that wouldn't go along with us renegotiating it. But doesn't he deserve some credit for that? It's better. The USMCA is better than NAFTA. It is better than NAFTA. But look what the overall trade policy has done even with NAFTA. We now have this gigantic deficit in trade with Mexico. Not because NAFTA wasn't made better, but because the overall trade policy and how he deals with it made everything worse. I guess my only point is, I'm a blue collar guy sitting in Macomb County, Michigan, if I were that person. Yep. And I'm sitting here listening to your pitch. And I'm thinking, I like what he has to say, but he's part of the establishment that's been selling my jobs down the river. He supported NAFTA, he supported most favored nation status for China. And Trump did negotiate NAFTA, and Obama and Biden didn't. Well, I'll tell you what we did do. We inherited the greatest recession short of a depression. The president put me in charge of that to do something about it. In the process of that, I was the one who was given responsibility to make sure General Motors and Chrysler didn't go bankrupt. Bring in, and so we made sure they didn't. Brought 80,000 jobs here to Michigan and to the automobile industry. 
80,000 good paying jobs came back. He's lost 50,000 of those jobs since he's been president. The fact of the matter is NAFTA was not the deal that was sold. When Bush said we were going to have enforcement mechanisms of NAFTA, they didn't do it. That's why after it passed and, and he did not insist on that, I was against NAFTA and we tried to begin to change it because it didn't keep the deal that was made. There was not the enforcement mechanism, the mechanism were abandoned. And so, but look, here's what else he's doing. We're talking about trade. What has he done with trade to give, to create more jobs in the United States? What's happened with his trade policy? Look what he's done with China. It's, it's just a disgrace. What he's done, he's allowed the corporate America to be able to make money by continuing to export American jobs. One last question for you, sir. If you're elected, you would be the oldest president ever. Um, and I know you've said it's fair for anybody to ask questions about anybody over 70 and their health. The American people have been lied to before by presidents about the president's health. FDR, JFK, Ronald Reagan. We don't know still what happened with Donald Trump and his visit to Walter Reed last year. Will you pledge that if you're elected, you will be transparent about your health, yes. all facets of your health, with urgency so that we know? Yes, when it occurs, when anything occurs, anything can happen. Anything can happen. That's what I did. I, I, I laid out my health records, more detail, pages and pages of it when I became vice president. I laid it all out, everything, my entire background relating to my health. I've laid out my health records in terms of this time around and the investigations of my health made when I was in the, uh, at Walter Reed in terms of uh, by Walter Reed docs, by my docs right now. And thank God I am in good health. But here's the deal. Anything can happen. I've become a great respecter of fate, a great respecter of fate. I've seen too much of it in my family related to accidents alone. And so I guarantee you, I guarantee you, I will be totally transparent in terms of my health and all aspects of my health. And when it comes to Donald Trump versus me, just look at us, okay? Just look at us. Who seems to be in shape? Who's able to move around? Who's, I mean, this idea of, you know, slow Joe. <laughs> I, anyway, I, I shouldn't laugh about it because, uh, anyway. Donald Trump, uh, just look at us both, watch us, and determine whether or not you think uh, um, I'm misleading anyone, not you personally, but the public. You know, look at me, judge me based on what, I know what the job takes. I've sat for hundreds of hours in the Situation Room. For eight years, I was Vice President in every major decision. I know how difficult the job is. And one more thing I'll do, I'll take responsibility. I'll acknowledge my mistakes when I make them and I'll level with the American people. Thanks for your time, Mr. Vice President. Appreciate Thank it. Thank you. Isn't getting something better than nothing? That's a question millions of Americans might like to pose to members of Congress. I'll ask that question next. Welcome back to State of the Union. I'm Jake Tapper. If you've been waiting at home for more financial relief from the U.S. government, it now seems clear that help is not coming anytime soon. This week, 
A Republican stimulus plan was blocked by Democrats in the Senate who want a bigger package. Lawmakers on both sides of the aisle are indicating that another deal is unlikely before the election, even as millions of Americans remain desperate for additional unemployment benefits or relief for small businesses. Joining us now, Democratic Congresswoman and former police chief Val Demings of Florida. Congresswoman, thanks so much for joining us. Let's start right there with what the American people need, the people who are still suffering uh, economically from this pandemic. On Thursday, Senate Democrats <clears throat> pardon me, blocked a slimmed down coronavirus relief bill put forward by Senate Republicans. They said it didn't go far enough. And I, I get that the bill passed by House Democrats was far more generous, but the end result now is that Americans are getting nothing. How, how is that better? Well, Jake, it's good to be back with you. And let me just start here. Uh, none of us planned COVID-19, but our response to it makes all the difference in the world. We thought we would be out of this by now. We are not. The American people are suffering through no fault of their own. We know the numbers in terms of those who have contracted the virus, those who have died from the virus. Millions of people are out of work. We're afraid to send our children back to school and back to uh, university. Mm -hmm. And so why are we always, or the the GOP, quite frankly, always pushing to offer the American people the crumbs from the table? We need to give them relief that really helps them to carry on their word about being able to keep a roof over their heads and food on the table. We need to pass a meaningful bill. And quite frankly, if the GOP is interested in helping uh, American families, the HEROES Act is sitting right there. Take it for an up and down vote. But Congresswoman, with all due respect, Democrats control the House. You don't control the Senate. You don't control the White House you need to compromise, isn't something, even the slimmed down Senate bill, isn't something better than nothing. Because that's what the American people have right now. Nothing. I say the American people deserve more than the crumbs from the table. And quite frankly, our leadership has been there, as you well know, for weeks negotiating. There has been movement on our side. But the Republicans have, quite frankly, been ridiculous in their negotiations. And it must be nice to maybe not feel like or or know the feeling of having to struggle to make ends meet. I talk to people every day in my district who are doing just that. And we need to give them relief that is meaningful. And we intend to do that. All right. But wouldn't they prefer an additional I'm just going to make up numbers now, okay? But wouldn't they uh, 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 prefer an additional two or three hundred dollars a week extra in unemployment benefits from the federal federal government, which is the crumbs you refer to from the Republicans, than zero, which is what they're getting right now? You know, Jake, you see what's going on, and I'll use this analogy with you. We see what's going on with our post office. We're in a fight to save the most reliable the most trusted institution in the history of our nation. Would it make sense to save half of it as opposed to making sure that the American people have a good, efficiently run and operating full service institution? And so I say again that the American people deserve better than the crumbs from the table. Mm -hmm. And we will continue to push a relief package that's meaningful to these families that are struggling. Let's turn to November. You represent a slice of the great state of Florida, which is obviously going to play a pivotal role in November, as it always does. A pair of polls out of your state this week showed President Trump 
<coughs> pardon me, narrowly leading Joe Biden among likely Latino voters. Trump leading among Latino voters in Florida. By contrast, Hillary Clinton, who lost Florida, won the Florida Latino vote by 27 points. Why is Biden doing so poorly with Latino voters in Florida? And what, if anything, can he do to fix it? Well, let me say this. The Biden uh, team from the beginning has made it clear that they are taking nothing or no one for granted. And we all know that polls are a snapshot in time and we are not paying much attention to what the polls say, whether they have Vice President Biden up or the president up. We are continuing to work hard with a, what I believe is a very effective ground game, touching each of our voters to make sure that they are able to vote. We're fighting voter suppression efforts that you're seeing all over, unfortunately, in our nation. We're taking no one for granted. We're touching mm -hmm. the voters. We're communicating with them. And we want to make sure that people have the information that they need to get out and vote for the person who supports a people's agenda. There's only one team who does that, and that's Vice President Biden and Senator Kamala Harris. Well, OK, you can say you're not paying attention to polls, but I know people on the Biden campaign and they're, they're paying attention to, to polls. Let, let me uh, bring up another number, a, a New York Times. Well, Jake, let me just say this. Let yeah. me just what I'm saying is that their actions are not being driven by right. okay. the polls. They are not relaxing too soon and taking anything for granted up to Election Day. Well, I would I would hope not for their sake. It's a competitive race. A New York Times Siena College poll that came out this weekend shows that 70 percent of voters over 65 in these four incredibly important swing states, Minnesota, Nevada, New Hampshire, Wisconsin, 70% of them view crime as a major problem. By a 20-point margin, those same voters say that Biden has not done enough to condemn the rioting. Now, I know that Biden has condemned the violence and the rioting and the looting, but apparently it is not breaking through enough. Does he need to do more? I think as a nation, we all need to clearly communicate that we want to reduce crime and keep Americans safe. And what I know as a former law enforcement officer of 27 years, as you know, served as the chief of police, all communities, regardless of the color of their skin or their economic base, want to live in safe neighborhoods. Let me just say this. I've heard multiple times Vice President Biden strongly condemn any criminal behavior. He's also talked <clears throat> about accountability on both sides with the police and the protesters. But he will co continue to communicate that message, as I said earlier, up to Election Day. I know he's going to do that and we're going to help him. In the battleground state of Pennsylvania, Black Lives Matter protesters were seen accosting and harassing innocent bystanders sitting uh, outdoors at restaurants in Pittsburgh. Um, now, you could just say, or, or people could just say this is just a few isolated incidents, but voters living in and around Pittsburgh saw these images widely covered by local media in Pittsburgh. Again, I know this represents a minority of protesters, but when you see images like this, are you concerned that some protesters are chasing voters into Donald Trump's arms? Well, let me just say this. Number one, we don't absolutely know that those are protesters that are associated, are a part of the Black Lives Matter movement. But the bottom line mm. is, Jake, when we see 
crimes being committed, our responsibility is to hold law violators accountable. And that's what okay. we have to do, regardless of the circumstances. Congresswoman Val Dennings of the great state of Florida, we really appreciate your time today. Uh, safe travels and thanks for joining us today. Thank you. Take care. Perhaps like so many Americans, you've been trying to find a way to spend some time with your family, your children, safely engaged in some form of recreation. Education in a time of pandemic can be really tough. And nothing is more clear about our government's failure to protect us than the fact that for so many American kids, it's considered unsafe to go into a classroom. The virus has not been contained. The widespread quick testing needed remains elusive. It's a huge failure by President Trump on down. So then maybe you seek this respite and you subscribe to Disney Plus, Disney's streaming service, and you turn on their new live action film, Mulan. Fun, nice, family friendly. But maybe you stay for the credits. And you see Disney thank the propaganda authorities of the ruling Chinese Communist Party in Xinjiang. That's right. Not only did Disney film this movie, Mulan, in the epicenter of the part of China where the U.S. State Department estimates the Chinese government has detained as many as two million ethnic Uyghurs and other Muslim minority groups in internment camps, places China claims are for re-education and job training. But the U.S. government says that they are subjecting Uyghurs to, to torture and cruel and inhumane treatment. But not only did they film Mulan there, Disney also thanks a local police department in their credits, a police department that was sanctioned by the U.S. government for its role in running these concentration camps. Now, Disney's CFO says it's standard to, quote, acknowledge in the film's credits the national and local governments that allowed you to film there, unquote. Really? How standard is it to film in an area where the local government has concentration camps and is being accused of genocide? I guess we should be happy no parts of Fantasia needed to be filmed in occupied Poland. And look, it's not just Disney. The star of the film went on Chinese social media and shared a Chinese state media image expressing support for the police in Hong Kong cracking down on pro-democracy protesters. Of course, that's just one person, a young actor. That's not the big problem. The big problem is Disney thanking people accused of committing genocide. Why? Money. So who cares about the concentration camps, right? It's an immoral position and one we've seen from the NBA, which was forced to cancel a training camp held in the same region of China. And of course, sadly, with President Trump, who, John Bolton writes in his book, told Chinese President Xi Jinping that China should continue building these concentration camps for the mass detention of Uyghur Muslims because President Trump thought that, quote, was exactly the right thing to do, unquote. This summer, two Uyghur organizations lodged a complaint against the government of China at the International Criminal Court accusing the Chinese government of genocide, torture, and crimes against humanity. This is the government to whom the NBA is bowing and President Trump is giving approval. And Disney is openly thanking. After a horrible genocide, the Holocaust, the world came together and pledged never again, never again. The NBA, President Trump, and the Walt Disney Company, they're making those words meaningless. 
Thanks for spending your Sunday morning with us. The news continues next. We all do things our own way. And since the way that each of us sleeps is unique, you need a bed that fits you just the right way. Sleep Number smart beds make your sleep experience as individual as you are, using cutting-edge technology to give you effortless, high-quality sleep every night. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, the Queen Sleep Number C4 smart bed is only $15.99. Save $300, only for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com.